All right. Let's jump in. Sorry about that. I was having a little technical difficulties. All right, well, let's, uh, let's jump in. Good to see you all. Again, my name is Nathan. We're missing a whole table. Missing a whole table. It does, it, yeah. It, it's hard to, hard to not take that personally, uh, quite honestly. So, I guess, I guess. E went out for dinner, I guess. So, all right, well, let me, uh, let me pray for us and we'll jump in. Father, I'm so grateful for this opportunity to be together tonight. God, thank you for each person here and just uh, their willingness, their desire to grow deeper. God, for all of us, as we long to, to follow you in all of life. God, we wanna be faithful um, in everything that we do. And so God, would you show us more tonight who you are, who you've called us to be and the kind of community that you've created us for. Lord, I pray that we would experience that now. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so if you could take a pill. Yes, please. Yeah. Some, some of us are already in. Uh, that would help you live longer with more joy and a greater sense of purpose. Would you take it? Yeah, it's pretty obvious, right? Or, or what if, what if uh, there was like one simple, easy, weekly habit that could make your Monday healthier, happier, more productive, et cetera, et cetera. Like, would you commit to it? Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that every week. I'm going to take that pill every week. Take that pill. Yeah, exactly. Would you do it? I'm guessing most of us probably, probably would. So listen, listen to this study that was published a couple years ago in National Geographic, others picked it up as well, uh, called Blue Zones. Maybe you're familiar with this. Uh, it's a fascinating study, it's only a few years old, about uh, across the globe, uh, this organization, they studied everyone, every community with the highest life expectancies to just figure out like, why, why do certain people across the world live longer than other people. What are, the, what are the things that they have in common, okay? So they came up with nine, nine key factors, okay? So I'm gonna, I'm gonna read these to you real fast. It'll make sense maybe in a minute, but okay. So the first, the first like few of them you'd expect, okay? So uh, number one is they move naturally. So they're just active people. Like part, their lifestyle is to move their bodies, okay? That, that makes sense, okay? Uh, number two is they live by an 80% rule, meaning they stop eating when they're 80% full. So I prefer the 120% rule, but um, that's what they do, 80% full. So they, they, they try to eat a little less. Uh, third, they have a plant slant. So they eat more vegetables, fruit uh, than meat, right? They don't eat a ton of meat. They eat some, but not a ton. And so far it's like, okay, this is not impressive at all. Like I could have told you these things. Uh, they didn't need to study this. We all know that this stuff makes you healthier. Those are the first three. So that's pretty un unimpressive. You can still do it, but pretty unimpressive. Uh, the, the fourth one is a fun one. Uh, they have wine at five. Yes. <laughs> they stop their work day and have happy hour with a friend or loved one, have a glass of wine. It's like, okay, all right, I'm listening now, right? Some of you are like, okay, tell me more, tell me more. Okay, so that was number four. Uh, so those four, again, though, they're not, they're not too shocking. It's the next five that are the most surprising. Uh, and they, they shouldn't be surprising because it's, it's what we do. It's, it, these things are key to our community as God's people. But these five things, people who live the longest, so number five is they know how to downshift, meaning they take time to reflect, to pray, 
to, to be, to rest, right? We talked about this two weeks ago with the yoke, right? That, that, we, that we do this. So we're meant to, meant to enter into this. Number, number six uh, is that they, they put loved ones first. So they place a high value on family and friends. Community matters to these people. It's number six. Number seven is that they live with purpose. They know why they're alive and they believe that their Monday matters. This, this one factor alone can add seven years to your life. Believing that your life has purpose. Seven years just for that one. That's number seven. Number eight, they're part of the right tribe, which means they belong to a community that reinforces healthy behaviors. Like, which we need that, right? We know we kind of drift to unhealthy things, but they're in a community that reinforces good and healthy behaviors. Health and happiness are both contagious, they write. And then number nine is they belong. And in fact, 98% of the people interviewed over the age of 100, so these people have lived a long time, right? 98% of them belong to a faith-based community of some sort. And so they even write, research shows that attending faith-based services four times per month, okay, so not like occasionally, religiously, okay, four times a month, will add four to 14 years of life expectancy simply by doing, doing that. Think about that. Like, let this sink in for a moment. Like, five of the nine are stuff that is, is absolutely core to, to being a community of, of Christ followers, of being a church. I mean, I, if we just added happy hour, we could get another one in here. We could just do that every week. I don't know. Um, so then add to that, so that's the Blue Zone study. Add to that, this, this study from Harvard confirms a lot of this, shows that those who attend church regularly are not just physically healthier, but also mentally and emotionally healthier. Studies, studies show that. In fact, USA Today, just a couple years ago, referred to church as a miracle drug. And I know, like, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir. You're here, after all. Like, this is extracurricular church, okay? It's so midweek. You guys are the overachievers at this point. Um, so I, I understand, like, you're, you're here. You, you get this. But it is getting harder, isn't it? I mean, to really commit to this sort of habit, this lifestyle, you got sports, you got homework, you want to sleep in, you just got stuff to do, right? To get done. So much competes for our time. And as a result, some, some Christians, right, have abandoned church altogether. It's just not, it's not worth my time. It's not worth being a part of that. They've just sort of skipped out. Um, or others, right, and many of us potentially in this room see church as one option on an already very busy weekend, but Sunday matters. And maybe you're thinking, okay, wait a second, Andy. we're talking about Monday. This is church for Monday. Like we've, all, all, all we've been doing is talking about Monday. You're right, you're right, we have. We're not losing that focus. But if you want to be ready for Monday, you need a good Sunday. That's the big idea. It's not too, not too crazy, folks. Your Monday needs a good Sunday. Sunday. So let me, let me review a little bit and help us uh, remember where we got here. Reed, we decided we're going to do happy hour at church um, every, every day because it's part of the Blue Zones. You missed that part. So I figured you'd be okay. Yeah, I figured you'd be okay with it. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. So let me, let me review. So we've got these seven marks, right? We've, we've talked about this throughout. This is kind of how our, our time is structured in Church for Monday. 
And our job description as a church, like as pastors, uh, is to help us grow in these seven areas. So we're kind of walking through uh, each of them. So, uh, you know, number one, right, if you want to be ready for Monday, like we've got to take up the cross. The gospel is everything uh, to this this work. We've got to give everything in our lives to Jesus. That was number one. Number two is we've got to put on the yoke, right, pursuing intimacy with God through the spiritual disciplines. That's how we grow, building these habits in our lives. And last week we talked about building our lives in the Bible, that we have to see everything as part of God's story. So tonight we're at number, is that four? Cross, yoke, Bible, church. Yep, number four. You got to love the church. If you want to follow Jesus, if you want to grow in your faith, if you want to be ready for Monday as a follower of his, you've got to love the church. You've got to prioritize this family, the family of God in your life. So again, if you take one thing with you tonight, I hope it's this, your Monday needs a good Sunday. Your Monday needs a good Sunday. So, but we know, right? Church is messy. We all know that. Sometimes it's boring. I get that. I don't take that personally. Like I, I know that, right? I've been up there and I've been bored myself, right? We know, we know that that happens. But is it really worth it? Is it really worth it? So let me, let me just ask, uh, again, you're here, right? So there's, there's some assumption that you buy into this a little bit. Um, why haven't you given up on church? Or maybe, maybe another, another way of asking that, like what, what keeps you coming back? Other than that four to 14 years of additional life expectancy. What, what is it? No, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm not gonna bother with that. <laughs> Hey, none of your business. That's between me and Trey. <laughs> Having people around you that believe similarly with you. Yeah. 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 Community. What else? Kid free reflection time. Kid free reflection time. Hey. I, I, you're exactly right. Yeah, yeah. I love that. It's really good. What else? I don't know how to put it into a, like a one word, but when I think about the thing that's done for me, it's the least I can hmm. do to yeah. give up my time to, to worship. To that word, but... Yeah, well, response, right? We're, you're responding to God. Um, response, worship, also, yeah. What else? Comfort, yeah, absolutely. Conviction. I'm sorry? Conviction. Conviction, that's right. I love it, that's good, that's really helpful. So, but before we go a little bit further, we're gonna talk about the why, like why do we do this? What do we get from it? But even more than that, because it shouldn't be about us anyway. Um, what's, the, what's the purpose? What's the church Four. But before we do that, I want to kind of stop for a second uh, and talk about some of the problems that we have with church. So we'll try to do this throughout some of the things that maybe cause a little, a little tension. Uh, and first off, and you read some of this in your homework, right, in the, the chapter from Ecclesia, about these, these common metaphors or sort of expectations we have when we go to church that sort of hinder us from really sort of entering in to what God has for us. Uh, the book has four, and I've always done four. I added a fifth. So read them. 
First, first ever here, I'm adding a fifth metaphor. So you can tell me what you think. You can tell me what you think. Okay, so, so these different expectations of, of when, we, when we go to church. So uh, the, first, the first four, again, you, you read about these. So one is, is a gas station. We go to church, like just fill me, right? I'm empty, I'm depleted, fill me. It's not, it's not that these are necessarily bad. They're just, not, they're just not sufficient, right? So I'm out of gas, fill me. Another common metaphor would be a, like a movie theater. Like just, I want to be entertained. Just don't make it too boring, right? Let me, help me sit through this in a way that's not going to be, not going to be terrible. Um, a movie theater. Another one would be a drugstore. Like I'm, I'm coming because I have a certain problem, a certain ailment. Like give me a pill, like fix me, um, help me feel a little bit better about my life. So it would be another one. Uh, fourth would be like a super target. Like what, what do I get? I need something. And so I, I'm going to church because I want... This, and I want this, and I want this, and I want this. And so you're looking for a place that's gonna, gonna, gonna give you those things. It's kind of a give me mentality. What do I get out of it? And the one I'm, the one I'm adding, maybe this is like COVID related, I don't know, uh, is uh, the drive-through. Uh, I just want it to be convenient. I want it to be as easy as possible, as comfortable as possible. I don't wanna get out of my car if I can help it, right? Um, I just, I want it to be, it's gotta be an hour or less, right? I don't wanna see anybody that makes me uncomfortable. Um, and I'm really going to church on the way to what I'm really doing on Sunday, right? It's kind of a, a thing that I'm just sort of passing through, sort of get out of the way. Hey, what is that? Is that good? Is that, you like that? I thought you'd like that. I thought you'd like that. Okay, so again, these aren't necessarily bad things, right? We're humans, we have desires. Um, but at the end of the day, like each of those things makes church about who? Me, yeah, about us, right? It's what, what do I receive? Obviously, you should receive something from being together in God's people, even more than just four to 14 years of added life. But church is so much more than that. And so why don't we, why don't we take 10 minutes at our tables? You already did the, uh, the memory verse because I had to change the batteries in my microphone here. Um, so you did that. But go, go on to the next couple of questions together and we'll, we'll talk in about eight or nine minutes. Okay, turn in your Bibles or on your phone to Hebrews chapter 10. Okay, so we're going to let Hebrews chapter 10 sort of be a guide for us, but we're going to jump around a little bit. So we'll always come back to Hebrews 10, but there's a few different spots uh, we're going to look. And Hebrews 10, 19 through 25 is kind of what we're going to allow to guide us here. Uh, but there's a, there's a lot happening in this passage. But the punch comes when the author tells the church, don't stop meeting together. And I, I love that that appears there because it's like, this was like, the church was like brand new. And it was a temptation then to be like, do we really need to keep doing this, right? And so the temptation that we feel to sort of drift apart, to get busy with other things, that's been around for a really long time, okay? Um, and our, our guess like here, uh, if we were just to, to guess, our guess is that half of our folks attend half the time or less. And that's not a, that's not a, a shaming statement, right? Some of you might fit into that category. It's just sort of a, an, a, an assessment. Probably half of our church attend half of the time or less. But that's not enough. Uh, not if you want to live a better Monday. Let me, let me unpack why a little bit. Why does, why does my Monday need a good Sunday? Well, he, Hebrews gives us three reasons. And again, we'll kind of unpack those three reasons and we'll kind of meander a little bit into some other things as we do. But three main reasons. First of all, your, Sunday need, your Monday needs a good Sunday 
because your Monday needs acceptance. Your Monday needs acceptance. When you walk out of here after church on Sunday or after tonight, uh, you walk into a world in which you're constantly asked to prove yourself, right? I mean, you know it, I know it. We know it in our, in our relationships, our families, our workplaces, like everywhere you go, you have to prove yourself. And we live, we live with what uh, the former Surgeon General referred to as a loneliness epidemic, a dehumanizing world where everything pushes us apart, pushes us down, pushes us further into isolation, and shame is always just an inch away, especially in our loneliness, right? But not here. Now, I don't mean that we have that all figured out, right? That we're perfectly living into this, right? Many of us walk into, those with, into church with those struggles, feeling that. Of course we still do, right? And church is far from perfect. But it's been said that church is one of the last places on earth in our culture that actually humanizes people. So many of the other things, right, situations, we almost become a little bit less human. They're dehumanizing. So, so many of our relationships, our, our institutions, some of our, our social media, like all of these things kind of take a little bit away from it. This, this is a place that continues to humanize us. This is a place where shame loses its power and, and we experience the love of community. Sunday is a place of acceptance, not based on my performance, your performance, but on his. So look, look at Hebrews 10. Let me read 19 through 22. The author writes, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great, great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. See, even just that, like, just like, that's beautiful, right? Like we need, I, that's what I need, right? I need that, right? That because of, because of Jesus, his shed blood for us, if you're with him, I mean, there's a lot that it says, right? You've been given a true heart. Your conscience has been sprinkled clean. You're washed, that Jesus is our, is our great priest over the house of God, and that, that when you approach God, don't, don't miss this, it's so important, like when you approach God, you do so with confidence. That's an amazing thing that you and I, because of Jesus, we get to draw near to the God of the universe who we have sinned against with full assurance because of what God has done for us in Jesus. And if we can do that with God, then we ought to be able to do that with one another. In this, in this community, right, where we're all sort of approaching God together through Jesus, this, this community ought to be a place where we taste that freedom, where we tell the story to each other over and over again and we tell it to ourselves. We hear it every single week. That your approval, your acceptance, your worth as a human is not based on what you accomplish, but on what God has done for you, how he's created you and how he's rescued you. And when we tell that story week after week to one another, if that doesn't change your tomorrow, what will? And just even think about how badly we crave acceptance. And so as a, as a culture, we've, we've done our best, right? We've, we've settled for, well, you just got to accept yourself, right? Accept yourself. How's that working, right? Does that feel great? Feel good? 
No, we can't, we can't do that. We know, we know that we don't have what it takes to accept ourselves. It's like, it's like if you're, you know, some kid comes to you and is like, I want you to play a game by his rules, right? Nobody wants to play that game. That's what we're trying to do when we say we're just going to accept ourselves. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. The acceptance that truly satisfies cannot come from within. But there's a God who sees you, knows you, and because of his son, accepts you. And this is the family he's built. And we need it every week. Like tomorrow, when you go through the office, like you need to still hear the voice of Jesus ringing in your ears that you are loved. When you're, when you're struggling to know how to parent and no one sees your faithful service, you need to hear God saying, you need that voice continue to ringing in your ears that I see you and I delight in you. And when temptation comes, you need the echoes of God reminding you that you already have everything that you need in him. And ultimately, we need to hear it from God, right? But we also need to feel it from each other. We need to, we need to see it in each other's eyes when we gather together. We need to hear these words back and forth from one another so that we can then take it with us into our Monday world. That your Monday needs a good Sunday. And this, this is why you don't just need the church. You need a church. You don't just need the church. You need, you need a church. Let me, let me explain what I mean by that. Um, what do you, what, you, know, you hear the word church, like what are some things that come to mind? What, what pops in your head? Images, ideas, you just hear the word church. What do you think of? Good or bad? Bells, yeah, okay. It says something about your tradition, maybe how you grew up. Bells, some incense wafting, maybe. What else? God's people. God's people, yeah, absolutely. What else? An organ. An organ, yeah. Uh, yeah, not going to happen there, Dan, sorry. Yeah, yeah. What else? Intimidating. Intimidating, yeah. A sense of discomfort, again, depending on how you experienced church in the past. And what else? Singing. Yeah, holy water. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I love it. We're learning about each other, aren't we? A little good crossing, I saw that. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Stained glass. Stained glass, sure. Sure. Altar calls. Altar calls, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we all have, we all come with these different ideas. Um, but let's, let's go back to the, like, the, the word itself. It's not a very profound word, actually. Uh, the word we use in English is church, but that's largely because of Martin Luther. That's how he sort of translated it into German uh, only 500 years ago. Uh, the Greek word, which is used in the New Testament, is the word ekklesia, right? And it's the title of that, that uh, chapter of the, or the book that, that we had you read a, a chapter of. Uh, and the word ekklesia was a common word in the first century that meant like a gathering of people. That's basically what it meant. It was not, it wasn't anything profound. It wasn't anything necessarily religious. Uh, the etymology of the word is like those who are called out, right? So you can kind of go back there. Uh, but essentially, it's just, it's people who are gathered together for a common purpose. Could have been used for any number of things. The church, ecclesia. And so Jesus, when he's using that word, is, is not referring just merely to individuals, right? Nor to a building, certainly not but to a collective group gathered locally together around a central purpose. And the purpose is Jesus, right? To know and be known, to worship and to be in community with him. 
Now, there's two ways that we often use this word today. And again, maybe based on your tradition, maybe this is unfamiliar to you, that's totally okay. Uh, but we'll sometimes refer to as like the local church and the, the universal church. So like a uh, church with a little c, that's a local church, a church with a big C, which is, which is broader than that. Let me explain it a little bit. So a local church, the little c church, uh, that's specific to time and space, right? That's where we live. Christ community is a local church, right? We're all here together. We know each other. We're looking at each other in the face, that kind of thing. Um, and the regular focus, the regular use of ecclesia in scripture, uh, most often the writers are writing to or talking about specific groups of people in specific times and places, right? So they're talking about local churches. That's how it's most often used in scripture. Now, another helpful category, and these are, these are helpful uh, ways of referring to the church, is the, the church universal, the, the big C church. And this is, this is a beautiful concept that beyond time and space, like we are all part of the same church. Those who follow Jesus, whether they lived 1500 years ago, whether they live in China or Indonesia or in Johnson County, like we're all part of the same church, which is, I mean, it's beautiful, right? That when we gather together here on Sundays, we're not gathering just us here. We're gathering across the entire country, across the entire world, across the last 2,000 years of human history, that those are our brothers and sisters together. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And occasionally in scripture, when ecclesia is used, it's, it's talking about this collective uh, gathering, right? This, this non-local expression of God's people. But I think where it gets a little bit sticky is, you know, more and more common maybe in our culture, our, our sort of contemporary setting, is for those who say, well, I'm gonna be a part of the universal church the big church, but I'm not really gonna bother with like a local church, right? It's messy, it's difficult, I'm not gonna do that. But there's some challenges with that, I think, theologically to say the least, practically, certainly. Um, can we just be a part of the big C church without having to mess with the little C? I think another way of asking that question is can you, can you be people without also being a person? No. It doesn't work, right? You can't, you can't do it. The big C church doesn't make sense without the little C church because the big C is made up of all the little C's, right? All the little local churches. This is where it happens. It's not to minimize the value, the beauty of the universal church, but the reality, like this is where it happens. This is where we love one another, where we learn to forgive each other, where we serve one another, where we're shepherded by and for one another, where we, we you know, get in arguments and figure out how to work through conflict together. Another, another way of thinking about it, it's like, it's easy to love the theory of people. We all love the theory of people, right? Who doesn't love people, right? But loving Tim right there, the beard, that guy right there, that's a little harder, right? He knows. Becky, you know. You know, right? Like, that's where it gets difficult, isn't it? Anybody could love a group of people. Anybody can have these nice, warm feelings. But if you actually want to learn how to love people, you got you to do it with these people right here. The people that you cannot, you can't escape, you can't hide from, you can't run from. It's the people right in your face to say, we are, we're going to figure out how to love Jesus and love one another together. And if you want this on Monday, you can't have a, like a, a theoretical group of people that you're united with. That's beautiful. It's important. And we celebrate that. But you need actual people who will look you in the eye and say, Jesus forgives you. Like, have you ever had that experience? Like when you, you know you've done something wrong. Like something, and you feel so much, so ashamed. And you've confessed it to God and you know that God forgives you, but to hear another person say, God forgives you. It just takes it to a different level, right? 
or to experience forgiveness from someone else or to, to be encouraged by another human. Like we need, we need this. We need the local expression. You cannot simply say, I'm just going to do the big C thing, right? I'm going to follow Jesus on my own. I'll be a part of that church without actually being with real people. Not if you want this. Not if you want to experience this deep within your bones. You need people to do that. And again, when scripture talks about the church, this is typically what it's referring to. Real people in a real place, in a real time in history, seeking to follow Jesus together. But I just, I'd love to, to know, like, what are, what are some of the reasons you think Christians today maybe minimize the role of the local church, or the importance of the local church, or sort of mute their, their commitment to a local church? What do you think? What are some reasons? Yeah, Dan? Time. Time, yeah. It's, it just takes time. Real relationships take forever. Yeah. Yeah. Or even live stream it right here. Yeah. yeah. Don't you have to get out of your jams? Yeah. We offer that, obviously, for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. It's overwhelming. Yep. Yep. Which kind of then appeals to sort of our consumeristic. It's hard not to be a consumer when there's options, right? That's the American way. There's options. So I got to pick the best one, right? And then we feel the weight of like, well, do I like this or this? And then you end up being a consumer at church instead of a, a participant. Yeah, often. That's really true. What else? Accountability. Accountability. Yeah. Nobody wants that. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, you get it. Dan knows. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Not all churches are, I mean, no, no church is perfect, right? Um, but yeah, there are differences in, the, in how, how it's expressed and how people understand the scriptures and what should be at a, yeah, all that. Yeah. What else? Yes. Which is impossible. Because if you move and you leave a church you love, what you love is the, the relationships that you have. And then to go to a church where you're a stranger, you don't have those. So it's like to even compare it doesn't even, it's just impossible. It takes years. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. Been hurt. No doubt. Church is messy. Honestly, it would be a whole lot easier if we could just kind of like tune in and watch a little Jesus and then go and do our own thing and not have to interact with people. Right. Churches hurt people. The people do, the leaders do. I mean, it's because we're broken and we, we do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think too, another one, I think we've hit on most of the reasons I got listed here, but another one is like just the, we live in such an individualistic world where it's like, well, of course life is about me and Jesus, right? It's like, I don't need anything. I don't need anybody else to do that. It's like, it's, we, everything else in our lives is revolved around us as individuals. And so we easily slip into thinking, well, that's what this is, right? It's about me and my experience and what I get out of it and all those kinds of things too. Any others? I think people thinking that they don't need a church to have a relationship with Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, again, kind of the, the it's me and Jesus, we'll figure this out. I've got my Bible. Um, and there's a lot of beauty to that. Like we are all able to come to God. The, you know, kind of a theological term would be like priesthood of all believers. Like we don't, you don't need a pastor to have access to God, a priest. You have that through Jesus. 
but we can easily then say, well, because of that, I don't need others speaking into my life. I don't need a community of people to keep me accountable, to help me understand the scriptures, to live it out. Yeah, all that. Okay, so church, we've got we to fight against this, right? There's a lot in our culture, a lot within us that kind of pushes us away from community. But you need a local church because your Monday needs acceptance. All right, any, any questions or comments before I go to the, the next one? Yeah. Um, church community is hard. Um, I was having a very brief conversation with a family member today, um, and I'm estranged from my family. And they said, you know, they want to love me, but. Um, they didn't want, they couldn't cope with uh, some of the hurt, hmm. right? And I said, oh, you only want to love the unhurt me. Hmm. You know, and that's when communities, and you know, she was quoting what God wants. God just wants love, right? But love isn't always easy. Love is really complicated. So I just wanted to share that. Yeah. It really was touching me. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that, Carol. And we want to love the hurt part of you. <laughs> for all of us, right? Because we're all a mixed bag, right? And community with real people is going to be messy. Yeah. Thanks for saying that. Well, let me go to the second one. Your Monday also needs hope. Don't you know it? <laughs> Man, we need hope, don't we? My Monday needs hope. Hope that it matters. Faith that God is real, that he cares. And we so easily drift away from hope, don't we? And so continuing on in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, the writer says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And we have, to, we have to hold fast. Like even that, that language there, you, you got to grip it. You got to squeeze onto it. It's just going to, it's going to slip away, right? Hope, hope, like it leaks, doesn't it? It just kind of drips out. Imagine it like a, a bucket. You know, we just, we're carrying around a bucket all the time, all of us, right? And it's got holes all over it. And you keep dumping stuff in to try to fill it and to make it feel a little bit better. And then it just continues to leak constantly. You get discouraged, you get overwhelmed, you, you get hurt, your feelings get hurt, right? you get afraid or, or whatever, like ashamed, tempted, like all of these things, distracted even, and it just, it leaks, it leaks. So I overwork to fill it back up, I overworry, trying to control it, trying to do it, working my own strength rather than his, or I just despair and let it just drain to the bottom. Or I try to fill it with other things. Maybe this will work, right? Maybe this distraction or this entertainment or this pleasure, maybe, maybe this will work. But no matter what I do, like you plug the holes at the bottom and others just keep popping up and it's exhausted. Like all week long, hope slowly drips out. And in the yoke, which we talked about two weeks ago, like we should be refilling our own buckets, right? Through the spiritual discipline, solitude, prayer, reading our Bibles, all of those things, absolutely rest. We have to, right? We cannot depend on our churches to fill them for us. 
but we can only do so much by ourselves. I need you to fill me up. When I, when I see you living your hope, right? Living out your faith. When I hear you singing, and sometimes I don't feel like it, right? Maybe my heart's not in it, but I hear the people around me singing, worshiping, delighting in God. Like, I, I need that. And when we retell the story over and over again of a God who's faithful, it refills our hope so that maybe, just maybe tomorrow, I can carry that bucket again. Believing that Monday matters, that it actually matters, that my life matters for something. Again, that alone adds seven years to your life. Just believing that there's purpose. But to remember that God sees, that he delights, that we get to serve him in all that we do, that there's hope even in our suffering and our hard times. My Monday needs hope, people. But if you're not committed to a church regularly, Weekly, And again, I'm not saying any of this with shame. I hope you don't hear that. It's like, I'm not trying to guilt you into coming to church. That's not going to work anyway. That's no interest in that. But if church is a hobby for you, it's something you do when there's nothing else to do on Sundays or when you have time for it, you can squeeze it in. If that's, if that's what it is, don't act surprised when your bucket is dry. Because it's all up to you. You got to do it yourself. And odds are you're not going to make it alone. Your Monday needs hope. Actually, as a, as a church, several years ago, we, we kind of wrestled with this question. We just, I don't, I don't even know how it came up, but we just started asking, like, why, why do we do church? I mean, it's in the Bible. Like, so we believe that it's important and all that, but why? Like, what, what is unique here? What is something in this community, this weekly gathering, these things that we do over and over that you really only get here? And what we came up with was just that one, that word, that hope. Hope is something that our world is on short supply, right? We look for it. We try to find it in other things. You know, politics or education or like, and we know how all that's working out, right? And so we came up with a statement. It's not original with us, but we try to say this often. It's a big statement. It's audacious. So you don't even have to necessarily agree with it. We'll try to unpack it a little bit. But we say it often around here that the local church, as God designed it, is the hope of the world. It's a big statement. The local church as God designed it, is the hope of the world. That God's plan for redemption happens here. Now again, it's a big statement. Got to unpack what that means, what it doesn't mean. Tim's a little uncomfortable. I can see it in your eyes. I told you you're hard to love. Um, Take a minute, though, and talk about the next uh, conversation questions. Discussion B, talk about that statement, and then we'll come back and try to figure it out together. All right. All right. The local church, as God designed it, is the hope of the world. Part of what I love about this statement is it does make people a little uncomfortable. It's like, oh, I, don't, I don't know. That's okay. That's all right. We're all in this together, people. Well, let me, let me start by saying what we, that does not mean, what that sentence does not mean. Okay? And then I'll try to unpack it a little bit. Because sometimes I think we get hung up on... The what does it not mean instead of actually what does it mean. So let me, let me say, what does it not mean? Uh, it does not mean that Christ's community is the hope of the world, right? That'd be pretty uh, self-serving and ridiculous. Uh, and even that phrase, you got to keep in mind, like this, this is the phrase that makes, makes it really possible, right? As God designed it. And no church fully lives into God's design, right? 
Every church is an expression trying to live into that design, but every church falls short of that, okay? So you gotta, you gotta keep that in mind. We're not talking about a specific church, a specific way. Uh, we, know, we know that that qualifier makes a huge difference, okay? We're also not saying that Jesus isn't the hope of the world. That'd be ridiculous, right? Be dumb. We wouldn't say that. Jesus, of course, is the hope of the world. Uh, but we are his body. Like, that means we are, we are his, like, his physical expression on earth is us. Which is a little overwhelming, right? You look around this room, it's like, we're it, people. Like, we are Jesus in this world. That's what he says. We are his, we are his body. And Jesus did say, like, if you don't, if you don't, like, Jesus said to his disciples, you're going to do greater things. I'm going to leave, you're going to stay, and you're going to do greater things. It's a shocking statement that Jesus says in John. Okay, so we're not, we're not saying that Jesus is in the hope of the world. Of course he, of course he is. But we, we are his, his tool of redemption. We are his ambassadors on earth. We are his body, his physical representation on earth. We're also not saying that attending church is the hope of the world. I mean, dear Lord, right? We've all been to church, right? And nobody's naive enough to think that an hour, an hour and 10 minutes of sitting there and singing a few songs and hearing a, an, you know, average sermon, depending on who's preaching, right, Reed? Um, is the hope of the world. Like, nobody, nobody thinks that. We know that, right? We know that's not the hope of the world. Uh, it's got to be more than, than songs in a sermon, right? It's, it's about a mission. It's about a people gathered together over time. We gather, yes, on Sundays, right? That's our kind of our... Our reminder together, it's what, what gives us energy and excitement, what reinforces our beliefs together. But the church scattered, right? That's all of us everywhere, all, all the places that we go, right? And so we want to we keep in mind, it's not just songs in a sermon. It's not just Sunday morning. We're also not saying that individuals don't bring hope. Of course individuals bring hope. Individuals matter. Of course they do. The local church is made up of individuals. But we're created for community, and the continual focus of Scripture is on community. This is one of those places where we're so, we've been so radically shaped by our individualistic culture that we can't even really get out of that, right? We're, it's all about the individual, right? That's, that's the world we live in. But the biblical writers are writing to communities of people who are doing this work together. Like I got one more. We're also not saying that pastors are the hope of the world. Just want, just want to be clear there on that one. Um, no, you are the church, like you are. We are together, okay? Some of us spend a little more time here, but that's because that's it's, it's our job. It's what we've been called into. Uh, but you are the church. This is why we say almost every single week, right? As we go from being the church gathered to being the church scattered, right? We don't stop being the church when we leave this building. Um, you are the church. All of us are Christ's agents of hope, which again is terrifying and exciting, hopefully. So let me, that's, not what we, that's what we don't mean, okay? We don't mean any of those things. So maybe that helps a little bit. But I wanna, I wanna go to kind of the clearest place, I think, where Jesus himself says this about the church. Not these exact words, but where he, he points to this for his disciples. It's in Matthew chapter 16. So we're gonna go back to Hebrews, okay? So don't lose your place. But if you wanna flip over, uh, flip back to Matthew 16, verses 17 through 19. It's one of the most incredible things that Jesus uh, says, it's probably the number one reason why I haven't quit being a pastor is because I believe what he says. Um, and so I'm going to continue to do this work because he promises to do it. So let me, let me read Matthew 16, 17 through 19. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? Like, who do, who do people say I am? 
And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and some others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? I love, I love that Jesus does this. This is brilliant. Who do you say I am? Because that's what he says to every one of us, right, in this room. Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I love, I, love, I love this passage, probably for obvious reasons, right? And there's a lot there in the context, but focusing in particular on those words, I, Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, the context here is important because, uh, you know, there's a lot of debate on exactly what Jesus is saying in the context of Caesarea Philippi and, and all of these kinds of things. We're not going to get into it a lot, especially like what does Jesus mean by hell and in the first century? Like, what does that mean? And, you know, there's lots of ways that you could talk about it, right? At the very least, it's, he's meaning death, darkness, sin, evil, right? All that's broken with the world and, and like hell, like he means hell, like all of these things. And just even, even pick out one of those, just death. Like, even if Jesus just means death will not overcome it. Death is the most powerful thing in, the, in, in, the experience, in our experience as humans, right? It's the only thing that always wins. Like, there's nothing more powerful than death. There's not a nation, an empire, a business, a person, a relationship that death does not destroy. And Jesus said this there in the Roman Empire, which has long been dead, that my church is going to outlast it. Just, like, think about that for a moment. Like, Jesus is promising that nothing, nothing, not even death, and nothing is stronger than death, nothing is going to overcome my church. Jesus, my, my, Jesus is saying, like, my death? Like, he knows where he's going. My death is not going to destroy this movement. Your death, the death of generations of Christ followers, nothing has stopped it. And even just go one step further, so that's just even just the picture of death, but, like, the gates of hell... And this, this is where I think so, so often we've kind of confused that, that phrase, that image. And we think, okay, Satan's out to get us, right? And I'm not, I'm not minimizing that. There is real personal evil in our world seeking to destroy us. I'm not minimizing any of that. But we kind of picture it as like, we as the church, we're huddled together. We've got this, these walls around us. We're protected from Satan who keeps kind of banging in against us, right? That's kind of what we think of. But is that really what Jesus says? Like our gates, the gates of hell, gates are not used for attack, right? Gates are used for defense. So Jesus isn't saying that, like, we're going to stay safe together from the, from the devil. He's saying, no, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna take ground from the devil. The, the gates of hell, like evil and darkness, all that is broken and sinful, death itself in our world cannot stop the church of Jesus that we are the ones taking ground. We are the ones on the offensive, not him. That we together get to be a part of establishing his kingdom. You know, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that we get to do that and not even the gates of hell can stop us. And we feel a lot of hell, don't we? All the time. I mean, there's so much brokenness, so much sin, so much evil, so much darkness in us and all around us. 
But Jesus is saying that through me, through his life, death, and resurrection, that we are the can, right, that we talked about last week. We are this movement of redemption of what can be in our world, the hope of the world. That's not meant to be arrogant, right? Because if you understand the gospel, there is no room for arrogance, right? It humbles us absolutely to the depths. You can't, you can't be mean-spirited about it. You can't, you know, walk around with your flag saying we're just going to take over the world. That's not, that's not what Jesus is saying. But we do get to challenge the darkness in our world and actually make a difference. And so hell, hell laughs at poverty, injustice, disease. Hell laughs at sin and wickedness. Hell laughs at people dying lost. Without Jesus... But we don't cower. We're not afraid. We move forward. We bring hope. We, by God's grace, are the hope of the world on this very broken and weary planet. And so the things that we get to do, the mission that we are called to as a church, in all of its expression, is about bringing that hope into every corner of reality, not just for an hour on Sundays, but in every place in which you touch, right? Every day of the week, every place you go, like you're bringing this hope. You are defeating the gates of hell in those spaces by the power of Jesus. And so collectively as a church, and this is why we, why we plant churches, right? Why we have multiple campuses. We think that's a way that God continues to do that by spreading churches. This is why we partner with organizations that do good work in these areas. It's why we want to share our faith with those who don't know Jesus. We want to continue to do this. And this is, this is why we encourage all of us to do our Monday work well. That church isn't just the spiritual activities, right? Um, that you are the church on Monday and all that you do. And your Monday needs a good Sunday because your Monday needs hope. Doesn't it? Yeah, it sure does, right? Our world needs this hope. And the local church is broken, as, as failing as we often are, all the, all the warts, all the, all the pain, right? The church is messy. And yet even so, the local church, as God designed it, is his hope for the world. And in many ways, what we're going to be doing these last few weeks of Church for Monday together is unpacking that. What does it look like to live out that hope? What are the ways in which we do that? So the rest of the marks, you know, we're talking through these seven marks. The last three are really kind of this, this, the activity of the church uh, in justice and evangelism and, and generosity and care, as well as in our work, the things that we do on Monday together. So those are kind of the last three weeks. We'll take a week on each of those as we go. Okay, any questions or comments before we get to the, the third one? It's okay if you still feel a little uncomfortable with the phrase. It's all right. We'll keep unpacking it. It's all right. You can talk to Jesus. He'll tell you. Hope of the world. All right, last one. Your Monday needs a good Sunday because your Monday needs you. Your Monday needs you. All of you. The best of you. Your Monday needs you. Now, this one might, might surprise you a little bit. So go back, go back again to, to Hebrews 10. Uh, it might surprise you a little bit because so often, again, we think of church as what we get out of it. Like we go to church to receive something. Again, it's not less than that. That's okay, right? We, we want to receive something from the, the church community that we, uh, that we go into. But this third point is, is more of, it's not what you get out of going to church. It's what the world gets out of you going to church. Does that make sense? It's what the world gets at. Yes, we want something out of church, but what does the world get out of you by being a part of a church community because your Monday needs you. So verse uh, 24 and 25, again, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. 
It says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Again, there's so much in each of these verses that we could point to. But I love that he says that like, this is the place that we stir each other up. That we encourage each other. And what are, what are we encouraging each other for? What does he say? Stir up to, yeah, love and good works, right? To love one another and to do good things to one another. That, and yes, like in, in these walls, right, we need that. Your church needs you to be a part of that. And the people around you need your love and good works, but it can't stop there. Your neighbors, right, need your love and good works. Your family, everyone around you. And what about, what about at work, right? Your coworkers, clients, the people you serve. It's not just good works. It's also good work. And we want to stir you up. We want to help you see every day and every conversation and every hidden moment as an opportunity to serve and love Jesus. Because your Monday needs you. And there's three, three metaphors I kind of want to point to here. Um, they kind of get at this a little bit. And there's a lot of metaphors, particularly Paul. Paul loves using metaphors for the church. It'd be fascinating to spend more time on them. But I want to point to three of them in particular that kind of draw out the ways in which we are an integral part to this church and to the world as a result. That not just Sunday matters, but Monday as well. So first of all, the metaphor of the body. So the body, the building, and the bride. Three Bs, easy peasy. Um, and I'm going to just, you don't have to turn there, but I'm just going to point out a couple passages, three passages in Ephesians. So you can write them down if you want to look later. Um, and these metaphors are found in other places in Scripture, but Paul in Ephesians just does them very, very efficiently. Uh, but the body, okay? So let me read Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. Paul writes, And he put all things, God put all things under his, under Jesus' feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body the fullness of him who fills all and all. So what do you think of when, when Paul refers to the church as the body? Like, what are some things that that means to you that you think about? The doing. The doing. Yeah, so it's an active, right? Bodies, bodies don't just like lay passively. We're active, right? That's good. That's really good. What else? Multiple parts. Multiple parts? Yeah, I mean, that's really important. Like, all of us has a role to play. Not, not, not one of us is insignificant in this body, right? And Paul elsewhere will say, like the, you know, the thumb can't talk to the foot and say, like, I don't need you. Like, no, we need one another. There's, there's a picture of both unity and diversity, right? Your body can't revolt against itself, um, but you also need all the parts. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. What else? I mean, similar to the doing, just that it's, it's living, right? It's an alive thing. It's not a dead thing. It's active. Um, that you're, you're important to it, right? There's, there's that, that piece as well. That it's his presence in the world. I mean, that, we kind of talked about that already, that we're his body, that we're meant to be his representation here on earth. It's a big deal. So the body, that's an important, important metaphor. Uh, the building is another one. So in Ephesians 2, Paul goes a little bit further. And I love kind of both of these because the body is very organic. The building is a bit more kind of structural, right? Institutional. Ephesians 2.19, Paul says, The household of God, so referring to the church. So I love, I love that metaphor. We could, we could unpack that one too. The household of God, the family of faith, right? 
household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. What are, what are some things there that, that just come to mind, that stand out to you about the church? This kind of this building metaphor, that being, we're being built into this sort of this temple to God, you and I. Anything that draws out to you? Yeah, yeah, Joseph. Thank you, just the idea that Jesus is not necessarily at the top. He's actually at the very bottom of the foundation. Yeah. And then we're on top of him. Yeah. It's interesting, right? Because the, the metaphor, like Paul uses, he's the head, right, of the body, but he's the, the cornerstone, like the, yeah, the most important sort of building piece in that sort of, you know, architect, architecture at the bottom. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. Other, other thoughts from that? I think it's also interesting how he, like, asserts that the apostles are also foundational. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, and then secondarily, like, we, in the Bible, like, we take the Bible as authoritative because it's from the New Testament, because it's from the apostles. From the apostles, yeah. Yeah, in many ways, he's tipping his hat that this is, this is that foundation in many ways. This is, you know, the apostles' work on behalf of God, right, inspired by the Spirit for, for us. Yeah, yeah, it's good. The place of sanctuary. Yeah, sanctuary. I Man, I love that, like that, that, that God would dwell among us by his spirit. We know he dwells individually, right, through his spirit. We talked about that in the series recently, but also collectively that there's a, like we are kind of this new temple uh, to God, uh, you and I, that we get to be that kind of, kind of structure for him, a place of, of worship and delight. Um, I, lo- I, love, I love that metaphor, the building. So uh, the body, the building, and the bride, one more. Let me give one more. Because um, that, that one, the bride especially connects uh, to our, our role in it. So Ephesians 5, right? It, Paul talks, he uses the bride metaphor. So again, Paul loves his metaphors, loves them for like all kinds of things, but especially, especially for the church. And so in Ephesians 5, he's talking about marriage, right? It's a fairly common uh, passage on marriage. He says all this beautiful stuff about marriage. Uh, but then he ends by saying, actually, I'm really talking about Christ in the church, right? Not that it's less than marriage, but it's even more than that, that we are married to Jesus, that we, the church, we are his bride. So what, is, what does that metaphor do for you? What does that draw up? If we are Jesus' wife, like what do you think of in that? What, valued, yeah. Yeah, it's, a, it's very intimate, isn't it? Yeah, what else? Yeah, affection and commitment. That's exactly right, you know. Yeah, there's not kind of this idea that divorce is an option in that, in that situation, right? And, and it's, yeah, it's deeply tender, right? Yeah, what else? Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I, lo- I love that. So like, you know, Adam and Eve in the garden are put together to work the garden together. So even, you know, Eve is called a helper. It's not a subservient thing, but she's like, Adam can't do the work by himself. And in, in a sense, yeah, this is like, God is inviting us in to that same kind of work of con- contribution. That's great. I love that. Yeah. What else? 
I just, I love the, it's a, like a cherishing and nourishing. Like there's, it's just a really, like there's a picture of beauty there, of intimacy. Even, even the way that Paul talks about this bride, that Jesus is going to make her beautiful. I mean, it's just, it's a, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful metaphor. And the reason I wanted to bring this one up in particular is I think, you know, for those who might be tempted to say, again, I'm not, you guys are an extracurricular church. So just, you know, hang with me. I know I'm preaching to the choir here. But it'd be easy to say, right? We've probably all felt this at some point because the church is messy to say, why well, I'm with Jesus. I love Jesus. But man, the church. Do I really have to do the church, right? I love, I love Jesus. I don't like the church. I mean, you've probably thought that. I've, you know, I've had moments, right? We've had those moments, right? Where it's like, man, I just want Jesus. I don't want to deal with his people, right? It's kind of a pain sometimes. But what do you think about that? Can we love God and hate his wife? You can't love me and hate my wife. I'll tell you that much, right? This is not going to work. I mean, if, if one of my friends came to me, sorry, Kelly, you're in the room, um, came to me and started bad-mouthing Kelly, disrespecting her, you know, saying he didn't want to have anything to do with her, like, that's just a rejection of her. That's a rejection of me, Right? Like, there's no way I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to put up with that. I'm going to want nothing to do with that person. And yet many think we can ignore Jesus' bride. We don't have to cherish her. We don't have to nourish her. We don't have to honor her. We can, we can disrespect her because she's, she's not always beautiful. Let's, I mean, we can be honest about that. The church is a mess sometimes. That we can just sort of disregard her and think Jesus is going to be okay with that. Kelly's not perfect. She's pretty close, Right? Jesus' per- church is not perfect. But like, you mess with my wife, you mess with me, right? And you reject his church, and you might end up rejecting him as well. I mean, this, this bride metaphor is a really powerful one. Of, it shows you what Jesus loves most. He loves his wife. He loves his people. This is where his affection goes. This is where his commitment lies. Again, not that he doesn't love the whole world. Of course he does, right? But we are his people And he expects us as members of this bride to treat her accordingly, to love her, to nourish her, to honor her, warts and all, right? To commit to her along with him. Any any questions, comments on these metaphors or or how our Monday needs us, our, our full participation, both in the community of Sunday as well as the work we do on Monday? Questions, comments, pushbacks? Yeah, yeah. Also asks to love our enemies. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Anything else? All right, let's take 10 more minutes at our tables, and then we will wrap it up. All right. Let's wrap it up. Okay, so maybe, maybe you're thinking, all right, fine, Nathan, something matters. So may, maybe, maybe I even needed to live a better Monday, or maybe you want to go back and read National Geographic and think it'll make you live longer. I don't know, I don't know. But maybe you're still thinking about church. Really? <laughs> I mean, I've, I've been here. Uh, I've sat through church. Is it really that great? Hey, first of all, it's hurtful, okay? Keep those thoughts to yourself. We work really hard. Second, 
Like you need to know, like I hope you understand this, like nobody wrestles with this stuff more than your pastors. I mean, it's, it's true, we're biased, we know that. Like we're, we're deeply committed, all of those things. We also see the very ugliest things as pastors of churches, it's just the way it is. So we, we, know, we, know, we know where we're failing, we know where we've missed the mark, we know, we, we, we understand that, we wrestle with this as well. I want you to know that, okay, that we're, we're in this together. We, we're questioning these things together. What keeps me going is that Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's what gets me out of bed, right? And I wanna join him in that work as best as I can. And sometimes, sometimes I think of, of Sundays like a meal, right? Uh, we're serving a meal on Sundays to all of us, right? We're trying to fill that bucket, right? We're trying to fill us, fill us up. And I wish that we had steak every week, right? Occasionally, all we have is PB&J. Sometimes it's just broccoli, right? But you still gotta eat. And we're gonna, we're gonna mess up, we're gonna disappoint you. That's just, that's the way it's going to be, right? We're going to do our best, but it's not always going to be pretty. But I just, I want to suggest as we close three, three things to help us in this. Like how do, how do you get the most out of Sunday? Because yeah, Sunday sometimes is broccoli and peanut butter and jelly. But how do you at least get the most out of that? Let me, su- let me suggest three things. First of all, big surprise. I could, I could say more, I'm sure, but three, three things. First of all, big surprise, show up. That's number one, just show up, right? Half of our church attends half of the time or less. And that's not enough. And so maybe even, cause I'm guessing everybody in this room was like, well, I'm in the, I'm in the other half side, right? It's like, well, maybe, but have you kept track? Some of you think you are, but you might not be. Like actually keep track, keep track of how many Sundays you show up over the next three months. And again, it's not, you're not trying to earn something from God. It's like, we're not trying to prove, like that's not what we're doing here. Um, but if you really want to get the most out of it, you've got to be here every Sunday you possibly can and just say, this is, this is my first priority on the weekend above everything else. Um, you, gotta, you just got to do it, right? Um, I know you're busy, right? We're all busy. I get that. Um, but what, what, what do you think is going to do a better job preparing you for Monday? Sleeping in? Man, I love sleeping in, Right? But sleeping in today is not going to help me tomorrow. Getting stuff done? I love getting stuff done. Do you really think you're ever going to catch up enough? Kids sports? And now I'm just meddling, right? It's like, but what, what is actually going to prepare you and your family for Monday? Like we, know, we know church can be boring. I've been bored by my own sermons, right? I, I know. I get that. But nothing shapes us more than our habits. And we need the ritual of pushing pause on everything else in our life once a week and turning to God and to each other. And at the very least, you'll live four to 14 years longer. So show up. Try it, okay? Just try it for the next two months. Show up every single week, every week you possibly can, and just see if anything begins to change in your Monday world, in your life. So that's number one. Show up. Number two is go deeper. Go deep. You got to go deeper, right? You can't just show up, right? Some of us, some of us get caught there. It's like, well, I've been trying to show up and it's still terrible, right? Well, again, hurtful. Uh, but you got to do more than that. You got you to go deeper, okay? Church is only as good as the relationships you build, period, okay? If you're, if you're dependent on a sermon and a decent song, none of us are that good, okay? 
You need the relationships around you. It's only, church is only as good as the relationships you build. And so we talk about Sundays. It's not just the hour here. It's the community. It's surrounding yourself with people who know you, who love you, who speak God's forgiveness and grace over you and seek Jesus together. That will change your life more than anything we could possibly do on a Sunday morning. And I, I know like for some of you, maybe you're newer here. Maybe you've just, you, you don't have this. Maybe you've never had this. And we want to help, right? We want to be a part of that with you. Uh, but maybe like you come in on Sundays and you look around and you're like, wow, like these people, they all, they like each other. Like, I, I want that. And maybe you're thinking like, what's their secret? Like, what's their secret? It's no secret. It's hard work and time. That's, that's it, right? They're here every week. Every week. They, they serve on a regular basis with other people. They're in a community group. They initiate conversation. Like if you want church to be all that it can be for you, you need to go deeper into those relationships, which means you have to do the work. We want to help, right? If you don't know where to get started, we got people who will help you do that. Like we want to be a part of that with you. Um, but that's the secret sauce, right? If you want to know like the magic, like that's it. Just people who want to actually spend time together and love one another. You got to do that work. That's number two. And then third, finally, look wider, okay? So show up, go deeper, and look wider. Because church is not about you. And we have to, like, every time you walk in, you got to remind yourself, this is not really about me, right? It's not, that's not, that's not who it is. It's about Jesus, and it's about the people you get to love and serve around you. And that will also change your church experience. And maybe, maybe they go, like, I don't, I don't need that. I don't need the church. I don't need that. But may, maybe that's true. Maybe you don't. I don't believe you, right? But the people around you need you. Like, the people sitting next to you need you. And so you've got to look wider than yourself, in fact, that's why these, these last three marks that we're going to talk, talk about these next three weeks are going to zero into that wider mission of the world, that the church is bigger than just us, right? This is why we're, you know, we multiply campuses, right? We believe that everybody should be involved in serving, right? You can't just come and take from the church. We want to give, but you can't just take. You've got to give as well. You've got to be a part of that. Everybody should serve. We should all be stirring one another up. It's why we give. Every one of us should be giving generously to Jesus' bride, and we believe everybody should do that. We, it's why we remember names. We work hard to do that as a church. Like we work really, really hard to know the people around us because church is not about any one of us. It's not about you. And when we begin to look beyond ourselves, beyond what I get out of it, beyond my own needs and desires, that will change you. And that will change your Monday. And that will change the world. So show up, go deeper, and look wider. The local church is God designed is the hope of the world. And it can be hope for you and for me. Take 30 seconds and just one, one little takeaway in your notes. All right, let me end with our benediction. It's a long one. Also from Ephesians, right? Ephesians is so much about the church and, and God's love for the church. It kind of begins with a prayer that Paul speaks over us and then kind of a blessing. And so that's, that's how, and it's Ephesians chapter three. Paul says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the father from whom every family in heaven on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. And then he says this, now to him who is able 
to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory. Where? In the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace.